Hello, my name's Sam Steen and welcome to another episode of the Football Faithful Podcast, sponsored by our friends at Football Index. Jose returns, Sheffield United's European ambitions took a hit as they almost threw it away against mid-table strugglers Manchester United. Liverpool left it late as usual, City kept up the pressure, but at what cost? And Arsenal, well, you can probably guess what they did. Joining me to go over all of that and more as usual, it's Peter Henry. Hi Peter. How's it going lads? Not too bad. And Deck Coleman's there. Hi Deck. How's for him? Uh, Colm's still away because he's dead and uh, Ant is on his honeymoon so uh, we'll hopefully have at least one of them back <laughs> in the near future uh, but for now it's just the three of us Peter get us going with the moment of the week Yeah I was going to go with uh, Delhi Ali's superb uh, piece of improvi- improvisation his flick to keep to in, not just keep the ball in play but into Son's um, into Son's path for, for Spurs second goal but Another story caught my eye, kind of towards the end of last week, which I just thought was was brilliant. Um, and it's 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 up in Scotland. It's uh, Euro Millions winner Colin Weir, um, a lifelong fan of Patrick Thistle, um, with his you know I think he won over a hundred million or something. But he uh, he he bought Patrick Thistle, the club his club, and he now plans over. Over, I think it's six months or something. I'm, I'm not a, exactly sure. He plans to give it back to the fans. So uh, yeah, like that's such a such a dream thing, such a cool thing to do, and such a dream thing to do. He's gone and bought his the club he supported his whole life, and now he's going to make it a fan owned club. So yeah, brilliant! What a story. That is unreal. That's a brilliant story. Uh, Deck, what have you got? Uh, I just like to say that didn't really work out very well for your man in Dream Team. A couple of years ago, so you uh, <laughs> want to be very careful. Um, my one is uh, mine is a bit different, a lot different, really. Um, I was kind of torn between two moments at the weekend, um, both uh, both kind of um, football nerd stuff, like um, set pieces from um, there was a set piece scored by well, with Danny Ying scored from a set piece against Arsenal, so the quick free kick they took. Um, Bertrand kind of put the ball down, got him going quickly, and they went away and scored that. And uh, the goal that Wolves scored, I think it was Jimenez scored from um, from a good free kick routine as yeah. well. Um, both of those kind of really got the juices going for me. Um, they were ones that I really liked. There was a brilliant one last week or the week before against for Bournemouth against uh, Newcastle. So then Bournemouth getting caught out by a by a well worked routine this weekend just gone. Kind of I uh, I just enjoyed those a bit more than anything else I saw this weekend. Really, to be honest. Um, and maybe a special mention for uh, uh, Gabby Goal in the uh, Libertadores final. Did you see that? I actually didn't yeah. see him. Oh, uh, so this was, uh, <laughs> this was uh, a last-minute equaliser, a last-minute winner, and a red card from <laughs> from oh, a yeah. single player, yeah. which is uh, from a single player just living up to every single South American football stereotype, which is just uh, top class. Um, right, uh, Peter, were you going to add something there? No, no, I just kind of muttering to myself about how Dex misses gets him going a quick... Quick, quick, free kick video on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> no, by Thomas Crowley in Sweden, USA '94. Jesus, Jesus. the night of our life, huh? Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, Launch, let- launching into the box. <laughs> right, that's the name of the pod, uh, and let's move on. West Ham two, Spurs three. Jose's back. Uh, Peter, is there anything that we can read into this result, or is it just a, a, a London derby? It's West Ham, Spurs, and maybe a bit of a new manager bounce. Um, yeah, look, I think people will will 
the, the age we live in, people will overanalyze it, and because it's it's Jose Mourinho, um, he's he's you know he's everybody hates Mourinho, but he he he's still the biggest story, you know, um, and you know, I I watched the game, Spurs were good without being brilliant. It must be said that West Ham are absolutely diabolical, and that you know. How they, they kept starting that fella Roberto on goals again. He probably could have got to at least two of the two of the goals. And just it's very difficult for a team when you just don't trust the goalkeeper behind you. But you know, Pellegrini looks like on his last legs. The players aren't running from um yeah, West Ham are really, really poor. Spurs looked a little bit better than than they have in recent times because they still I think let that much, terrible West Ham side back into it though, didn't they? They did, yeah. Um, that and that's kind of maybe, you know, that's kind of a legacy from what's going on recently because um, it, it's very unmourinho like for a team to do that. Whether you love them or hate them, is, is you know, once they get a lead to to kind of to end up the, to finish the match off being so nervous like that. But yeah, I think they still have defensive issues to sort out. A couple of tweaks he made. He played Deli Alley in his best position. Um, there's a lot being made of Deli Alley in recent times. Uh, his lack of form. Um, personally, I think, you know, some people have been defending him. Other people have been, you know, going, you know, saying how terrible he's been, writing them off, basically. And, you know, the answer's usually in the middle. He, he hasn't been playing as well, I don't think, personally. But you have to take into account that Pock was moving his position constantly. He was playing a lot of the time, you know, back in a, in a you know, in a deeper midfield role. And Deli Alli's a good footballer. He can do that. But that's not where Deli Alli is at his most effective. It's in and around the, the box. It's in the half spaces, um, little intricate passes. And then just getting into the box... Um, he, he looked really sharp. Like I said, his flick was just amazing to think so quickly because he didn't just try and keep it into play. Sometimes you'll see players try and keep the ball in play and it'll just look foolish because they'll just keep it in play and the other player will come up behind him and run away, um, one of the opposition. But, you know, to flick it into Son's uh, path and then for Son to go on and score was um, was re- really good. I think everybody expected Mourinho to start Eric Dyer and he did. Um he was dire, which everyone expected as well. Um, I thought maybe he'd go with Sissoko and Dyer because they're real stereotype Mourinho players. But he went with Harry Eight Winks, which is very who looks like a very non-Mourinho player. So it'll be interesting to see um, how how his career pans out under Mourinho. Because I thought Harry Winks was actually quite good. He, he kept things ticking over really well. So I don't think there's too much to breathe into it at the moment. We need a kind of larger sample size because. I think Mourinho said himself he wasn't going to change much at first, but he will over time. And they they look to have a small bounce, uh, Spurs, and they were better than a very, very poor West Ham team. So um, I, I do, if I'm honest, though, I do expect them to start moving up the table. Whether they'll get into the top four, there's still a big difference there, but I expect them to, to start to move up past Man United and Ar- say Man United and Arsenal quite easily over the over the next few months. So it, it's going to be really interesting to see how we got how he goes there because that the squad actually might suit him. I think you said it last week. They're not a young team anymore. They're they're quite um you know they're 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 battle hardened. A lot of them are kind of 26, 27 coming into what would traditionally be be called your prime and that's that's we all know that's the kind of player Mourinho likes, which I personally don't think there's a big deal with. Um, you know, being experienced is like 
is a bad thing in football sometimes. Just play the kids, play the kids is seems to be what a, what a lot of people are shouting. Um, so yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be really good to see how that pans out. Interesting. I thought that Danny Rose came out of the team, no sign of her tongue and and no sign. Of, well, Ericsson was on the bench, so yeah, it'll be they're, they're obviously three that you know everyone thinks they'll be looking over their shoulder want. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So like you know, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see if he's just decisive because I think Mourinho's the type you're either with him or against him. You know, so. Um, if they're not fully committed, he'll, uh, yeah, he'll he'll gradually move them out, and he has no loyalty to them either. Because no, no, sure, yeah, I mean, he, he's just come in and, and well, he's probably been given a mandate and permission to to shake things up a little bit. Deck is, do you think there's a place in this side for players like Ericsson and, and Rose, or what? Well, actually, but the question I was going to ask you was, what way are Spurs going to play under Mourinho? Do you think? To be honest, I think like. He he gets a little bit hard done by I think with the the negative stuff you know I think Peter touched on it last week as well um, he he does tend to set his teams up solidly defensively but they've generally apart from the last couple of years of his his career like he's he's managed teams who have decent enough attacking teams as well you know so I think uh, I think they'll. He'll utilize the players he has now. Maybe, maybe because of Ericsson and and the stuff that's going on there. The rumors we've heard the rumors about what's going on behind the scenes with himself and Vertonghen's misses, and maybe there's there's stuff going on with you know the fact that he's probably looking to move and things like that. So I I wonder maybe is that why he's not going to play him a bit and and until that's kind of sorted out, um because it's not as if he's a player that um they're going to try and maximize the profit that they can get off him if he's going to leave on a free then. Maybe Mourinho will probably just let him sit and rot on the bench. Same as Danny Rose has said, he's going to see out his contract and stay till the end till, till the end of next season. Which, to be honest, if that was me, I'd be saying, well, if if I have players that are you know going to give me a bit more than you, they'd be the ones I'd look to. And then yeah, Danny Rose is a good player to have as a backup. I think if he's not too keen on you know looking beyond. I mean, I know you don't expect every player to to say, yeah, I'm here for life and I'm looking at extending my contract every year and all this, but like, I just think it's horrendous. I I, I guess even for your plans as a a coach, you'd want to be, if you know someone is going to be out the door, guaranteed, you might just want to start blooding the next player who's coming in to take their place anyway. Without a doubt, yeah. Without a doubt. And you'd be doing that anyway with players, you know, like we were speaking and we've spoken the last few weeks about how their team needed a, you know, a few fresh faces from time to time. Now there's fellas who are basically saying, "Yeah, find someone who's going to play instead of me." Now I'm sure these some of these fellas are going to going to get stick for saying that because they're, you know, they're going to still pick up their wage and stuff. But you know, I'm sure they're going to lose out on certain incentives as well with regards to appearance fees and you know, with Ericsson, it's going to be things like goal and assist bonuses and and all that, and maybe milestones on reaching certain targets without throughout the season. So if they're not playing, they're they're still going to lose out on some sort of money. So I wouldn't really wouldn't really be too bothered about getting into that side of things, especially when you know clubs have plenty of money to to pay the players anyway. So I think he's going to start looking at maybe maybe building the team a bit differently to what Pochettino had, which they're going to have to anyway. Um, a change of manager is going to bring out a different side to players straight away anyway, as we've seen. Like this this game, they won away from home three points. It's the most. It's the same amount of points Pochettino picked up in his last twelve away Premier League games. 
So he's already had a positive impact. Um, I know the question is going to be how long can Mourinho's positivity sustain? But I'm I'm pretty sure with the squad like he has with Spurs, it's a lot different to the squad he had with Man United. And there's a lot more of there's a lot more solid defenders there. There's a lot more creative midfielders there. There's a bit more of a, there's a bit of what he likes in there everywhere. Yeah, there's a bit of everything there. I think there's, you know, obviously they need additions, but there is a bit of everything in that squad. And surely he's gonna he's gonna look at that and go, yeah, I'm gonna start enjoying this a bit here. I know it it reminds me a little bit of the of the Chelsea team he had with the likes of Robin and Duff and stuff. You know, they had they had a bit of everything, and they were okay at times. They shut up shop and they ground out results. But we have to remember there were times they were hitting teams for four and five as well. Like you know, so they have that now. I think. Even even the the Chelsea team that won the league in two was it two thousand fourteen fifteen actually played some really good stuff. Um, yet Marino is viewed viewed as this this dinosaur. What, what I thought was was really and don't get me wrong, football has evolved a lot in that time. But what I thought was really interesting while we're recording, uh, the Champions League games are are just about to kick off, and he's picked the exact same team as he named at West Ham for the game with Olympiacos. They go through if they win that, which would be a nice little start from, um, because that's one thing that was always really noticeable about Jose Mourinho's team, his best teams, was that you could name the starting eleven. There was never any doubts ever. It was the first, you know, he he had his. He had his set 11 and they were the players he played week in, week out. It almost became an issue with Chelsea. Some people were saying, you know, the older fellas, the Ivanovic's and Terry's maybe needed a rest. But that's one thing I think he lost at Man United was you never knew. He, he was chopping and changing constantly at Man United. And I think as well, I think he would have taken the Arsenal job, lads. I think he needed a job in London because of the fa- the family side. Um by all, like he, what he love made him. He, he is a family man, Mourinho, and I think all the other jobs he had, his kids were kids, so obviously they'd no choice. They had to follow him, but because they're whatever eighteen, nineteen, twenty now, they didn't go to Manchester. And he he's admitted now that he was pretty miserable in Manchester as well. So, um, I I'm just fascinated to see what happens because I think he knows how good that Spurs team can be. And that, that's one of the reasons he's taken the job. Although that just contradicts me, what I just said about taking any job in London. But I do think he, he knows he can get a good song out of that Spurs team. It's just what I'm really interested to see, and I have doubts, I'll be honest, is he's saying he's evolved. He, he's already brilliant at setting up teams. He just doesn't organise his defence, or sorry, his attack enough, um, the way Klopp and Guardiola does. So he could, if he can... If he can improve how he coordinates his team's attacks instead of the approach to brought him success and maybe, you know, just saying leave like leaving you at it to Kane and Ali and so on and Mora. If he can if, if he can move in that direction a bit more, he could be really successful with Spurs, you know. Um because you know, Man United and Arsenal are, are, are a mess that's not going to be solved anytime soon. And even though Spurs have massively dropped off. They still have a core of players that's been together a long time. So if they do get firing again, there's kind of a more solid foundation there, you know. Plenty to watch with that. Uh, let's go on and talk about Liverpool then. They left it late again, uh, beating Palace 2-1. But, uh, Deck, do we have to talk about VAR again? Nah. Let's not bother, <laughs> Are, you sure? Are you sure? Ah, it was a foul, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, all right. Just, would they give it, like... 
I don't know. I look. I, I'm not. You know, it can happen. Then I'm not going to be doing doing the whole liver pool bollocks that I've seen around. But I do t- like Gary Neville. Or sorry, no, Gary Lineker made a good point on match today. That wouldn't be given as a pen. And it's not because it's against Liverpool. I think it's a, a wider issue. It's like they're they're really looking for reasons to rule out goals now. Yeah, maybe. But on the other side, if if you were an attacking team and that happened to you at a corner and you didn't get a pen. You'd be fairly pissed off, like. Oh, I don't think you so. Don't, would you I even complain about it? Um, if a player is getting shoved over in the box, it's a foul, like no matter where in the pitch it is. But, but besides, it besides that, anyway. What? It happens. You know, I, like just as a general point, the amount of grappling, the nudges, the blocks that go on. And I don't. Box, I don't mind. I don't mind grappling and and nudges and blocks and things like that. In fact, I I want. I like to see like. You you know I have a fetish for set pieces anyway, no? So like I like to see a, a bit of blocking and things like that. But um, yeah, you do. <laughs> they, no, maybe maybe Lovren is after getting uh, is after buying it a bit by get, jumping onto the floor a bit, you know, over exuberantly or whatever. But to be fair, like if someone's getting getting shoved, that's different to a block and someone making a step or blocking your run or whatever it is. A push is a push, like. But apart from that, Liverpool didn't really play as well as they they can or that they should be anyway and what I what what I noticed a lot from that game I'm sure everyone watching it noticed it was they were absolutely bricking it of Wilfred Zaha every time the ball went near him the whole Liverpool team went into a state of panic and we know that he's um, we know that he's a, a serious threat and he's a dangerous player and what he did against Liverpool last year getting um, getting Milner sent off and that he's very dangerous but I don't think um, I don't think that he's uh, so so much that the whole team has to just absolutely panic so much as the Liverpool team did. I thought every time the ball went near him, like no one no one would commit. There were obviously Henderson was doing a good job doubling up on him, but even at that, it was like the fellas were afraid to tackle him or afraid to get too close in case they got done. But then they were giving him a bit too much space that he was doing them, and I think Liverpool really got out of jail with the result. Another thing that I've kind of been thinking over the last couple of weeks is um, it seems to me that there's, whether subconsciously or actually consciously that they're doing it, I think Liverpool are really looking at what's coming up in the next uh, in the next month now and are really kind of saving themselves a bit. And I don't know, are they saving themselves just so that they can get through the run of, result, or run of fixtures that they have? Or is it just something that they're worried about whether they're going to get burnt out or, you know, with the travel and things like that? I just think that they're not really putting in the the types of performances and the types of energetic performances as they as they're known for. Um and if you compare the all the games this season really with the game against Man City, it was a completely different Liverpool side. And it seems like they know that they just don't really have to overdo it too much to get the results against teams at the moment and they're probably just getting by on that so I really hope that they start kind of just up in the gears a bit because um, you know it's it's not obviously they're winning games it's great but you'd like to see them winning games a little bit more convincingly and you know at the end of the season if if and when as I, I really think that they're going to win the league if it's a case of they've done it in a way that they've ground out results yeah, brilliant. We'll take it. No problem. But 
you'd be looking at it then in comparison to last season's Liverpool team, and you go, Jesus, that team was surely more valuable or more more worth a uh, league win than this year's one that's just grinding out results. It's funny you though. Know, it's, the, the thing about yeah. Liverpool under Klopp, I I think, is that every season you see that he's learned something that he's been at yeah. the club, whether it's energy management, that that was a big thing. Like at the first season he was in, they, he ran the players into the ground and then he was like, oh shit, I need to maybe just manage the team and manage the, you know, the, the amount of game time players are getting. And maybe just last year, he recognised that we just maybe just need to grind out some of these results and that's okay. Just It seems like there's been a progression every year where he's learned a lesson, learned a lesson, learned a lesson. And now, I don't know, maybe they'll go undefeated the whole season and win the league. Yeah, I, I always say, though, I, I've said it on the pod a few times. I think the Liverpool you're seeing, you're seeing, obviously I've said they're a winning machine, and they are. There's an air of in, you know, inevitability, even in that Palace game, that they would somehow get over the line. It's a bit like Man United where, when they were at their, at their peak under Fergie. Um, and I think, I think even last season, Liverpool weren't that good. They ground out an awful lot of results last season as well um the best liverpool the pure excitement just good to watch liverpool for me have been gone since that was the team that got to the champions league final that's the team that smashed city in two legs that's the team that you know destroyed roma um at anfield and you know it was just was amazing to watch i think Klopp has refined his he refined his style last year where they knew if they scored a goal, they didn't have to go chasing games because Van Dijk, Impact and Allison that they were able to sit on leads and then maybe nick another one. And I think it's just a further refining of it this season that they're they're just even better at it. But they're not gung-ho like they were. For, they weren't gung-ho last season for me either and the way they were maybe in this first couple of seasons. Do you not think so? Oh, I agree. I agree. I think that's a really good point. But I'm just, my, my only thing is it just looks like they have more in them. And... They're still, yeah, they've they've become really solid. They're getting the job done and stuff. It just looks like they're holding back a little bit. And I'm not saying holding back and not going gung-ho because, you know, they're still dominating possession. They're creating a lot of chances. But it's just, there's just something, I think, that, that they're, uh, I don't want to say that they're missing. It's just, that's why I'm saying holding back. I just think they have a little bit more in them. And I'm, I'm beginning to think that it's because they're just keeping an eye on on what the fixtures they have and they're managing the fixtures and sure look I suppose if they get the job done against every team and keep the the really really good performances for the for the so-called big big teams and big games then I suppose yeah that's great but you know there's as a fan you're always going to be looking at at the team and going there's there's something else there's something else they need to do like and I mean I can't really complain they're winning games and it's brilliant and like I've said it a good few times so far this season now that even when it comes to the last few minutes, you still think they're going to score. You still think they're going to win. So it's not a problem. But um, I think the novelty of winning late games has kind of rubbed, run off a bit. On them. I mean, also, I'd like to just, you know, win the games a little bit sooner so I can kind of relax a little bit more. Like, you know, uh, Napoli tomorrow or today, as you're probably listening to this, uh, any predictions on that deck? I think Napoli haven't won in six or seven games. Uh, I think they're in absolute turmoil. There's all sorts of problems going on with the owner and, and Ancelotti and, and the players. Um, I've been listening to a bit of a bit of stuff there from Italian journalists, and they're saying that they were surprised that he didn't that Ancelotti didn't walk during the international break because um, he kind of he kind of went head to head with the with the chairman backing up his players, and then the following week they kind of 
went against them somewhere or another. They didn't attend a club event or something like that. And he was a bit he was a bit pissed off by all that. And it seems like there's an awful lot of, of turmoil going on and there's the stuff going on with the with the chairman. He's threatening to fine players like twenty five percent or fifty percent of their monthly salaries. Um there's just a load of shit going on there. So I I can't imagine they're gonna they're gonna be able to, you know, really get a get a win against a really good Liverpool side who as we've seen with them, as they get deeper and deeper into the Champions League games, they start just upping the levels a little bit. Like so, I'd be saying a relatively comfortable two 0 win, maybe. Yeah, fair enough. Um, before we go to the uh, quiz, we'll have a look at the weekend's marquee fixture. That was Man City two and Chelsea one. Peter, would it be fair to say that Pep's team took the points, but Lampard's took the plaudits? Um, no, I think that would be. Or maybe people want to sensationalise it, they could, but I think I think both teams came out with a lot of credit. I thought it was a brilliant game of football, hugely entertaining. I loved, um, absolutely loved watching the kind of midfield battle, especially in the first half. Jorginho and Kovacic, I love watching Kovacic. He's such a top player. And Kante really had control there for a while. Like De Bruyne was very good in parts as well. He wasn't actually at his best at all, but just his attitude, um, especially when City went down to kind of really start driving them forward, was was impressive. Um, I'll be honest with you, like um, you know, William went through for that chance, and like I said, the the three lads in the centre of the park were really winning the battle there. They were cutting through City's press, either dribbling. Or, or pass really really easy for about 10 minutes before they scored I think they scored around the 20th minute and it looked like it, the, the, way it, the way the 10 minutes had gone before it was an expected goal and you kind of felt that like City are going to Chelsea are just going to keep doing this I kind of felt at that at when Kante scored I thought that's it Liverpool are going to go 12 points clear it's over to you Broj um, or maybe Chelsea are, are, are going to win it but Realistically, I was thinking, you know, bollocks. This is this is Liverpool's now, definitely. But to be fair to City, I think after that they managed to get back in control in that for the which is amazing. I think three hundred and eighty-one games Guardiola has been a manager, and that's the first time that any team has ever had more possession than than his team. So it shows that Chelsea were good, but I don't think after the go after. City's goal, they really looked like scoring again. They kind of were getting into good areas, but they didn't really create too much, too many chances. And fair play to City for kind of coming back into it because I thought they were in serious trouble when that goal went in. Not just because they went a goal down, just kind of how the ten minutes had gone before, uh, with you know with the ease that Chelsea were, were were playing straight through them basically. So um, yeah, it was it was a really really good game and City. Also, I they, like I said, both teams deserve plaudits. Chelsea for their, for you know their first half and their and their overall performance, and City for you know getting back into it and, and eking out a win when they, when they weren't at the, at their best. And um, obviously they've lost Aguero now to what Pep says is a is a serious looking injury, so that's just more in injury woe on them. But um, I I think that they have a couple of tough fixtures coming up. They'll they'll walk. They'll whop us. They'll whop United in the in the Manchester Derby. That's only tough in name. It's not really tough in nature. Um, I think they'll. Yeah, I, 
it's funny at the start of the season I was sure not a, not out of badness but I, I thought Liverpool wouldn't be able to, to stay with City uh, but I, I just don't see City being able to stay with Liverpool at the moment so um, well, he's, yeah. he's kind of uh, started to say things like oh you know finishing second isn't actually all that bad he's you know I wonder Jack do you think that that's is that uh, he doesn't really do mind games but is, is that his poor attempt at mind games ah uh, yeah I mean that's that's nonsense like he when when would when would he ever want to finish second ever i mean not that he'd want to but is he kind of you know laying laying the groundwork when would he think it's acceptable he we've seen him we've seen him at five nil up against teams and he's lashing his players over but like you'd hardly think he's gonna say that finishing (laughs) second is a good achievement you know what i mean yeah he made some long-winded statement about the problems in society because everyone places the emphasis on the winner and you know not 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 winning isn't a big deal no and you're sitting there going do you know what a lot of what you said is true pep right but it's like it's like if you're drinking too much you're not going to take a lecture off a fucking alcoholic (laughs) like i'm not listening to it it's a good speech pep but it's not coming from you because like you just said he's an absolute perfectionist absolutely obsessed with winning so it was. It's very strange to hear him talking like that, really. Yeah, losing that, uh, losing that streak of having more possession than the other sides is going to just freak him, isn't it? I, I pity Newcastle on Saturday. I think City are going to have about ninety-eight percent possession in that game. Maybe just let them do kickoffs, Definitely. and that's about it. Uh, right? Should we? Uh, should we do a round of the game? Yeah, we'll have a go. We'll have a shot. Uh, all right then. So uh, as usual, I've got a whole load of players and the clubs that they've played for. If you can tell me or try and identify the players by the clubs that they've played for, just say your name and I'll go to you. So my first player began his career at a club called Quick Boys. Nobody went from Quick Boys, which is a real club, to Utrecht. Deck. Deck. Tim Cruel. Not Tim Cruel. No. Peter. Peter. Yapstam. Not Yapstam. Peter. Peter. Iron Robin. Not Iron Robin, no. He played for them 160 times before going to Feyenoord. Deck. Deck. Marco van Ginkel. Nope. Peter. Peter. Giovanni van Bronckhorst. Nope. Went from Feyenoord to Liverpool. Deck. Deck. Is it Dirk Kite? It is Dirk Kite. Yes! Hooray! Uh, right. Uh, you may not know, but there's a small edit just there. Uh, right, let's move on. Uh, this next player began his career at a club called Viking. Peter. Peter. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. No, not Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Peter. Peter. Alf Inge Haaland. No. Went from Viking to Copenhagen. Copenhagen. Deck. Yes, for Gronkjaer. No. Peter. Peter. Jesper Blomqvist. No. All right, you're going to have to be quick now because I think you'll get it here. Went from Copenhagen to Fulham. Or not. (laughs) Deck. Deck. Breda Hangeland. It's Breda Hangeland. Very good. Man. Well done, well done, well done, well done. Uh, I'll give you one more before we move on. Uh, it's a tough one now, I think. So this player began his career at a club called Olympia. Went from like went from Olympia, did a short loan spell at Birmingham City, and then a permanent move to Wigan Athletic. Peter. Peter. Maynard Figueroa. No. Two 
Went from Wigan to Spurs. Deck. Oh, Deck. Peter. Deck. Wilson it's ah. Wilson Palacios three. Oh my God. I've only got three more lined up. It, oh God, it could be all over very quickly. We better move on. And uh, Deck got three in a row. It's all over. No, I said I've got three more after this. So you could tie it up oh. level. If he gets another one, it's all over. Oh, yeah, I- yeah. Uh, fair enough. Uh, let's move on. And uh, well, let's talk about Leicester, Peter. They, uh, it's sort of what we said in the preview pod last week. Uh, this could have been a banana skin for kind of any other club, but Leicester are just, they're too good. They're too clinical. Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, my kind of early season protestations that it would all fall apart because Brendan Rodgers' teams can't defend. They're just ma- looking sillier and sillier by the week they've the most clean sheets and the best defensive record so uh, yeah they're just a they're just a really good football team sam uh they've they've you know solid at the back a really experienced um top class goalkeeper in pascal pascal in casper michael i don't know why i was going to rename him pascal there but um yeah midfield really really good um got a bit of everything um in midfield and then Jamie Vardy is just just absolutely um, superb at the moment. I thought the way, because they missed a couple of chances, I thought the way he took the he took responsibility to bring, like the, the goal, obviously, we've all seen it, lightning break. But I think most players would have passed it into Perez's path about 30 yards beforehand and said, now you go and sort it out. But Vardy almost carried it right up to the goal and waited until the va- very last second. He brought it as close to the goal as he could to, to lay it into Perez so he couldn't, uh, so he could just have a tap in. I thought it was really responsible and intelligent play as well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to, to find fault in them. And like you said, it just felt very, very routine the way they, they put Brighton away. Uh, away. They let Brighton have their, have their bit of fun, have their kind of, have their few chances, play their bit of football, but once it came down to it, they just uh, put them away clinically. So uh, yeah, they they, ro- they roll on, and uh, yeah, com- yeah, nothing 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 to add, Sam. It's just the same as it's been in recent times. Really. Pretty much. I mean, the only thing, Deca, uh, the only other thing I want to mention about this game is well, it's Everton next up for Leicester, and I think we said this when Leicester were uh, going to Arsenal last. They're the last team you'd want, and for Silva, Jesus, you'd be looking at that fixture. But you'd be packing your bags, wouldn't oh, you? Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, he's he's out the gap sooner rather than later. It's uh, um, I'm sure Brendan Rodgers would be delighted. You know, J- you know Jamie Vardy would be delighted anyway to get a manager to sack. If he can't get his own manager sacked, then the next best thing is getting someone else's manager sacked. Um, but we've said that um, that Leicester are, are the last team you'd want to be playing against in these circumstances. Um, on the flip side, Everton are in that group of teams that you'd be delighted to be playing against any time at the moment like they're they're in that top list of teams that please can we play so that we're going to hammer you again you know they're they're brutal at the moment and they just don't have an identity they don't seem to know what way they want to play or they want to play a certain way and they just can't you know they're they're just kind of crap at the moment like so um yeah i think it'll be a comfortable win for leicester one team then that were, uh, well, they definitely do have an identity, Peter, is Sheffield United. They drew 3 all with United, but they'll probably be looking at that game and thinking it's two points dropped. Yeah, um, I, I don't think I was the only one, Sam, who, who'd kind of 
didn't fancy Man United at all going into the game. I think most Man United fans expected us to be to be outplayed, to be outthought um, by by Chris Wilder and his side. Um, so you know, cra- absolutely crazy game, absolutely diabolical. Man United for seventy minutes. Sheffield United hugely impressive um, in every facet of the game, um, from the tactical side to their just their base desire. Um, and uh, you know, you know, United have that seven eight minute period where they look really good. They score three goals, and then Sheffield United get a goal back. And I think, you know, I think they did definitely deserve it. They hadn't deserved to lose that game. At all, I think Ollie Backburn did brilliantly to not handle the ball. Everybody was like, you know, did he, didn't he? Well, he did really well to get his arm out of the way for me. I do think a more clinical team than Sheffield United would have put United to bed uh, before they actually woke up in the 70th minute. But yeah, Solskjaer kind of said that himself, didn't he? That well, one of the positives yeah, he took yeah. was that United didn't get stuffed in the end, basically. I mean, were there really any positives to take out of this game apart from, well, they got scored three goals? That pissed me off no end, if I'm honest, that himself and Rashford are coming out and going, oh, yeah, but we would have lost that 4-0 last season. Like, that that's how low they've set the bar for themselves now. Um, you know, I, after the game, I saw some United fans online and they were saying, oh, yeah, but, like, give them some credit for making the game change and substitutions. We came in, though. And I thought, you know, I was thinking to myself, obviously, I don't rate Solskjaer. I like him as a man. I like what, he, you know, his legacy at the club. Where I think he's... A, completely out of his depth uh, coaching a club like Manchester United um, and this this nostalgia thing that he carries on with is is just going to pull us further backwards so but I did think to myself am I being obviously harsh here am I not seeing that there was some positives but then I thought to myself do you know what no because I thought what what like there was 80 minutes when we were abysmal right and there was 10 minutes that we were good What's the outlier there? The 80 or the 10 minutes? And the reality is, West Ham game, Bournemouth game, most games this season, any away game, we've been absolutely dire. So the real outlier in that performance was actually the 10 minutes when we look good. So, you know, it's not been harsh. It's not been harsh on Solskjaer. I don't think the players believe in what Solskjaer is asking them to do most of the time. I think the ones that come out and back him have vested interests in him in him staying on board um, because they don't look like it. Like, look at the difference on the two teams and, you know, which one is believing in what their manager is saying and carrying their instructions out onto the pitch. It, it was night and day between the two teams. So it's just, and obviously the, the pressure is going to intensify on him now because Pochettino is available. Before that wasn't, you know, before it was kind of like, well, who do we get to replace him? And the answer was, we didn't really know, maybe Allegri, but there's, a perfect candidate out there, a proven top class manager. And for me, they're, they're, they're just, you know, they, like they're not, they'll, be, they'll finish. United are getting nowhere even near the top six with Solskjaer in charge because he, he can't put together a consistent run of results. Um, he's had long enough there. You, you know, there's, there's managers that came in at the start of the season that have more of a, a coherent way of playing that you can see their teams are, are executing. So, yeah, it, it was it was just. I know we got the three goals back, and that was good. But there's just I I just find United so difficult to watch. I find Solskjaer so difficult to deal with. The you know the comments he makes. I think some was just ridiculous. That the four nil comment was just oh, that just drove me insane. Um, 
and yeah, it's it's just it's going to be a long. Well, yeah, you're going to say it's going to be a long season, and you're you're kind of coming on to a question I've actually got written down. A general question about United: What's a good season at this stage, and what would you want as a fan? Good season, like you take. We're obviously a, a way off, um, a way off challenging Liverpool and Man City. They're at a different level than everyone else in the league. So top four in a trophy would be perfect. Um, but I, like that's not going to happen under Solskjaer. Um, so. They'll be lucky to finish in the top half, if, if, I'm, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, I don't mean to be... Like I, I want Man United to, to do well. It doesn't take me pleasure coming on here every week and kind of pretty much repeat myself because it's the same stuff over and over again. Um, so, yeah, that would, that would be a fine, a fine season for Man United. That would be enjoyable, but I, I can't see that happening. Um, you know, you could even say, well, if we were good to watch, you could argue that that was good to watch the other day, that seven, eight minute period, and it was an entertaining game. But, you know, there's been, a, a, you know, the, the general sample size says we're actually quite poor under them. Even the back end of last season, Cardiff at home, losing to them when they're already relegated, etc. Um, yeah, it, it's just, it's like people say, oh, but, you know, we need to spend loads of money. But like whether so. Like even if you get a new manager in, we're going to need loads to spend loads of money. And, and I don't think Solskjaer has done anything to suggest, apart from that new manager bounce at the start where the players were just happy not to have Mourinho around. I don't think that he's done anything to prove that he should should have a job of that magnitude. And with Pochettino waiting in the wind, wings, I think, honestly, it's a dereliction, dereliction of duty if Man United aren't going all out to get Pochettino into the club at the moment. And even if you are someone who liked, you know, Okay, who likes Solskjaer as a manager? There's no way you can sit there and, and, and argue with me that Pochettino is not a better coach than uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because the reality is not a single other Premier League club would employ Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and that should not be the case for Manchester United. Um, so it, it, it's yeah, it's just going to mumble on like this. We might go, you know, we might be decent against Villa, and then maybe go go away and be terrible at home. I think a lot of the, the players have a lot to, to answer for as well. They've been hiding, some of them have been hiding behind managers for quite a while now. But even, you know, you'd say, oh, signings have been good, but like, the last two away games, Bournemouth and and and, um, and Sheffield United, the goals we've conceded have been absolutely abysmal. So, you know, it's, it just doesn't seem to be any great confidence in the team. What I thought was strange after the game as well was you know, so he he he'd obviously got his tactics as far wrong as you can get them. Um, then he switched it. We got three goals, and then he brought Twanzebe on and went to a three three you know five at the back again. And you got and that's when he seeded the you know the initiative. Can we say should we say and and Sheffield United scored. Now I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing if I'm honest to bring on a defender when you're trying to see out a lead. I'm not one of these people. They always have to attack. But Rashford was saying afterwards. That oh we should have just kept going to win it four two. This is you've got a twenty one twenty year old two year old. But you, that kind of to me sounds like you're disagreeing with what the manager tried to do in public. You know what I mean? So um, I think there's just massive issues in, in behind the scenes as well. That the, the power that players seem to have. They you know they got rid of Van Gaal. They got rid of Mourinho. Um, and that's without Pogba even floating around. So, like, is it a be- uh, is the squad in better shape with all of those young players coming through, and maybe even with Pogba pushed to the periphery than when he took over? Are, are they in a better place now for Poch were he to come in than they would have been uh, whenever Solskjaer came in? 
Yeah, well, like, see, the thing is, it always, like, when I think about it, I think about all the years I'm watching Man United. Solskjaer's kind of attitude with young players is as if that all Man United's success was built on constantly throwing young players into the team. And that's not the way it was at all. Class and I, we, Man United have, a, have the best record of any Premier League club in bringing through young players. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to say we don't bring through young players. The stat about us having a player from our academy in our squad for the last 70 or 80 years is absolutely phenomenal. But what I'm saying is the class of 92 came through and they were there for 10, 15 years. A lot of them were. But that was kind of a freak. Apart from that, you'd kind of struggle to name five players in Fergie's 26 years that came through the youth academy and were first team level for, say, more than five seasons. John O'Shea, Darren Fletcher. I don't know. Who else could you name, Sam? Um, uh, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so it's not like United have just been playing young players all the time, you know? It's like the flying wingers thing. Name five of them that were actually really good for five seasons. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so, like, so, um, yeah, I just worry, like, Andon Williams scored a fantastic goal, right? And I've been saying how he wasn't good enough in a WhatsApp group, so he was bound to score a fantastic goal. But I think the likes of him just probably won't go on to have big careers. So I don't think throwing them in is necessarily the the answer either. So yeah, I, it, it's just it yeah it's it it's really it's hard it's it's hard to be a Man United fan at the moment. It's hard for me anyway. You know, you were saying earlier about um, about Solskjaer was annoying you with his with his comments after the game. And one of the things was when he was asked about uh, the scoreline and how the game went and stuff, he kind of laughed at it as if, as if it was a bit of crack. You know, oh yeah, it was a great game for the neutral, which I'm not disputing, it was a great game for the neutral. But if you're the manager of one of the biggest football institutions in the world and you draw three all with a newly promoted team, having barely scraped the draw as well, if you look at the grand scheme of the game, you don't turn around and laugh about it and say, yeah, it's a great game for the neutrals and we'll watch it back, but we'll watch it back because we need to learn off it. Like, yeah, you do You do need to learn off it, but like, he should have been fuming that they drew three all and he was laughing about it. And I got annoyed listening to that. And like, so I can only imagine what it's like for a Man United fan. And then the other one that you're saying uh, that I agree with when you're saying about if the team, if a new manager comes in and, and people will say, oh, the team is in a better place than it was. And it's 100% nothing to do with the management and the coaching there. The team is in a better position with those young players because they've had experience of playing games. Now, that's the only reason. They haven't had the experience of managing games, like, you know, seeing out games. They've had a couple of results like this one where they've got themselves back into it. And so they'll be better for that in the long run. And they've had much more minutes under their belt. But you can't say that any manager will come in there and go, Solskjaer's done a great job of bringing in these young players. They're there by default. Go, you know, then you're, you're enthused about to come back. But it was how bad they were for the 70 minutes. That's the problem, Sam. Do mm-hmm. you get me? Like, it's not, you know, you can go 2-0 down in a game. That's not the issue. I'm not, you know, you shouldn't be throwing your toys out of the pram for that. It's the nature of the performance. And it's not just that performance. It's every time they play away from home. And it became an issue under Mourinho as well. I've always said I think a lot of them players are a bit weak mentally. And I, I, I like, like, you want to sum up a team's togetherness and their mental fortitude. You look at their away form and look at Man United's. You know, they've won one game away from home since March. That's That was kind of why the writing was all on the wall for 
for Pock is that they weren't playing together as a team anymore because um because of their waveform just showed how, how poor things were going. So um yeah, it's 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 it look it's it's just gonna flip flip and flop as long as Solskjaer is there. One or two maybe good results against lesser teams, defeats by lesser teams, um might actually do well against the top six when he'll do his only party trick playing the counter. So but it's just gonna be I, I United will finish in the bottom half of the table if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer stays on as our manager, is my personal belief. And uh, that kills me to say it. But can, can we just point out that at the moment, Man United are sandwiched in the league table below Arsenal and above Spurs. They're directly in between those two absolutely hilarious teams, which I think is, is yeah. poetic. Well, yeah, uh, no, yeah. uh, on, on to one of those hilarious teams, that's Arsenal. They, uh, they, they drew as well, rescuing a point with a 96-minute equaliser from uh, Lacazette. But they were, well, if United were bad, Arsenal were very, very bad. It's just so, so predictable. I... I'm in a couple of last man uh, standings and I saw a lot of people picking Arsenal and I was like, stay away from them. It, I just <laughs> kind of knew, especially, you know, they're not, they, they they can be heartbreakers at the best of times, Arsenal. And, um, you know, I just kind of thought if Southampton score first, that place will turn absolutely poisonous. And Southampton did score first. Now Arsenal got back into it, but... Jesus, it was just it was just the same mistakes from the same players, insisting on playing out from the back when you know they just can't do it. It's just so like they're so easy to play against. Just we'll just press them high because they just play into our hands basically. So Hampton should have scored six, seven goals in that game. Um, they should have absolutely destroyed them, and it you know it shows why Southampton um, are struggling at the bottom of the league and why Southampton have struggled kind of for the last two or three seasons is they're just not very good at putting the ball in the back of the net. They've had loads of different attacking players over the last couple of seasons, but, you know, it it's not all Shane's long fault. Shane's long, Shane Long's fault. They're just really shit at finishing most Southampton players. So, um, and I think what really summed it up as well, though, Lacazette's reaction when he scored, it was like, a mixture of embarrassment, or was he thinking, "Oh, that might give Emery or Emery a stay of execution"? But such a bizarre reaction, and obviously the reaction was massively linked to to the atmosphere in the crowd as well. You know, Arsenal used to be good going forward, even if they're poor at the back. That seems to be completely gone now, and Emery is almost done the impossible and made them even more flaky defensively than they were, and you know during the end of, of Wenger's reign. So I think it's, I you know, realistically, there's three, Emery should really go in the next couple of days because fans have turned against him. Um, that doesn't take, you know, Arsenal fans, we won't take them. <laughs> but they, they've all turned against him. The players, I think, aren't having him anymore. And, you know, other man, other teams want to play Arsenal now. So he, he has to go. He's been there long enough. He, he's had plenty of time. And, and they're actually probably at their worst now than they've ever been under. Even last season, their home form was good. That's completely gone now. So I think he has to go. You'd say the same again about Silva and Pellegrini. You know, they, 
I'd be very. I would have. I would have thought at least two of them three would be gone by now. I'm actually surprised that some of them are are still in there. But the reports generally today is that it's it's when, not if, Emery will go. So um, the yeah. only thing there, Pellegrini has an excuse because his keeper has no hands. But the rest <laughs> of the, the other two, like they have no excuse. Well, you know, so, Emery's defenders have no brains. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Similar question uh, that I asked Peter about United and uh, and sort of what's a good season at this stage. Uh, same thing about Arsenal, Decker. What, what's a good season for Arsenal now? Or is it just basically a case of write it off and hope that they can stay in the division? Jesus, I suppose like the the gap is still, like the gap in points is still, you know, the top half from fifth down to tenth is still so small that, you know, European football should at the very least be the aim um, and that's for that's for any of those all the big teams that are still that are still there and aren't in the top four I suppose bridging the gap between where, where they will be is outside the top four and that gap to get into the top four keeping that as small as possible is surely the only thing they can hope for now and maybe if they can pick up a cup um, which I don't think they have a hope of um, that's probably that's probably the best they can hope for um, and I suppose, as Peter was saying there about Emery, like the longer he's there, the less likely any of that seems to be. Um, we mentioned it a few weeks ago when we were talking about their team, and you look at their lineup, and like, yeah, their their defense is weak. They have they have attacking players who, in theory, should be quite good, but they're not really doing much. Obviously, Abamyang shoulders a lot of it. Like I said, obviously picked up a couple of goals, but they don't they don't play a really you know, clinical attacking game. They're shocking at the back. They've no one really in midfield who who controls the game. So they, then you look at the team and you don't think that they're going to be capable of actually doing much at all. So like, if they can get it, if they can get into Europe League, it's great for them. We talk about like teams like United and Spurs that might benefit from not being in um, Europe next season because it'll give them a chance to focus on their lead form. If Arsenal don't get into Europe, they're goosed. Like no one's going to sign for them. I don't think. Uh, knowing that no one's going to that that's going to get them into the top four is going to sign for them if they don't make it into Europe. And even if they make it into the Europa League, they'll still struggle. Um, I can't imagine their better players are going to stick around much longer. Um, they're obviously going to end up changing manager at some point. So a lot is going to ride on who they can bring in in order to entice players to come and play for them and maybe get a bit more out of what they have. Um, and th- that's, that's I suppose, what they need to be looking at. The only thing I would say is I felt a little bit sorry for Unai Emery when, um, you know, we all we have all been taking the piss out of him, but I felt a bit sorry for him when the Sky Sports reporter so blatantly tried to goad him into saying good evening um, with his questions and the way he led into it. I just thought, you know, that's gone a small bit too far. It's especially when it's a fellow who's uh, who's not a native English speaker. Like I mean, you know, Roy Hodgson gets gets the Mickey taken out of him for his speech impediment and stuff. But you know, when when it's when it's a non-English speaker and he's he's trying to learn a language and he's under this much pressure, give him a small bit of a break. He's he's getting sacked soon. Like give him a break. Deck. He nailed it. He said good evening. So. <laughs> That, like someone must have had a word, and that got me thinking. Maybe they were so poor because Emery's just locked himself in the room, the room for the last week, and he's been going evening, evening. <laughs> that's that's why Arsenal hadn't improved because he's spent all week nailing how to say good evening. 
Oh, well, they'll be fine. So, Sam, I, I take it all back. They'll get top four. No, he can speak English. They'll be fine. <laughs> He's perfect. Well, we'll move on or we'll be here all evening. Uh, we just have time for uh, one more round of the quiz and, uh, and a quick prick of the week. But first, uh, yeah, so round two of the quiz. Deck, you're 3-0 up as it is. I've only got three more, so Peter can only draw. Uh, I guess if we if you get all three, Peter, I'll, I'll find a, a tiebreaker one. Um, but usual rules apply. I'm going to say a whole load of teams that a player's played for, and you need to identify that player by the teams that he's played for. So, uh, our next player began his career at Motherwell. Deck. Deck. It is James McFadden. Unbelievable. I can't believe you got that right. <laughs> I don't want to play this game anymore. <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe you got that right. <laughs> uh, went on to play for Everton, Birmingham City, Everton again, Sunderland, uh, back to Motherwell, St. Johnston, back to Motherwell again, and finished up at Queen of the South. I can't believe you got that. 4-0, it's a whitewash. Uh, just time for Prick of the Week. Peter? Yeah, I'm going to go with, with somebody I, I quite gladly not heard a peep out of for quite a long time, but big fat Sam Allardyce was in the in the uh, news again today, giving his old, you know, what equates to his well-trodden bloody foreigner speech when he was saying that any, you know, he would have managed Manchester United if his name was Allardyce again. It's just oh, like God. Sam. Nobody wants to hurry you because nobody wants to see boring long ball football. And you're also, you got caught out taking bungs. You're a disgrace. You, you know, actually, the, funny, the funniest thing of it all is that England appointed him as the manager. That just, that's how low English football was a couple of years ago. And only if he hadn't been caught out, he would have brought them to a World Cup, which uh, really would have been Mike Bassett got World Cup. What, but, what might have know, been, what like, might have been. Like, just ask West Ham and Everton fans. There's a reason people don't like your football, Sam. Um and plus you're a pompous prick. So, you know, stop moaning. The reason you're not a football coach anymore is because you're a relegation specialist. Even big clubs would probably rather get relegated than hire you now. And no club would ever have touched you unless it was the 19 fucking 30s. So do one, you fat prick. <laughs> not mincing his words there, uh, Dick. Um you know what I I had one lined up right so I'm going to give you that but I'm going to give you a side one then after that because it was it's Mass Muccellino the Brescia manager I don't know if you heard what he was what he was up to this weekend um, so obviously there's a lot of shit going on with um, Fabio or Mario Balotelli and he's you know with the racist stuff uh, he's getting racially abused left right and centre and um, he was having a bit of trouble with the with the manager of Brescia and so the owner, Massimo Cellino, who we know from um, his time uh, owning Leeds as well, um, he was at some event, some some Serie A event the other day, and so he was asked, you know, what's the story? How's how's Balotelli doing? And his answer, I'm not going to give it to you in Italian. Um, what he said was, basically, he said, well, he's black, but he's trying to lighten himself. Um, and it had some other type of meaning, which he was trying to use, but trying to be funny about it, but he didn't really get it uh, across the way it was supposed to, so he's come across as an absolute prick. Yeah. Um, so that's so absolutely a, a lot of pricks and, in Italy at the minute. Oh my god, that's unreal! Like it's, yeah. I mean, especially especially with 
but I mean, it's never, it's never going to be a good, a good joke. Like you know, it's, <laughs> I suppose he, what he was trying to get at was they have some phrase where um, he's black with anger, and that's the one he was trying to use. But just yeah. get a grip, like yeah, um, that's probably tell you, like when you, we actually hear the president of your own club saying stuff like that. You know what yeah. I mean? That's yeah, it's a joke. Like I don't, like I, I don't know, I don't know why, um. I don't know why he went back there in a way because I know it's his home, but you just knew, you just know that all this racist stuff is coming up. Even when I saw Lukaku going out there, I was going, mm-hmm. that's, you know, you can kind of predict that there's going to be incidents like there. Yeah. It's a disgrace, Italian football, that stuff that goes on. Like. Shocking. And it, it's, a, it's a shame because the league and the standard of play and the quality of football and, and the clubs are, a lot of them are, are starting to improve and getting back to. They're on the track of getting back to, you know, we all remember Italian Italian football, yeah, yeah, and watching just, it on, on Channel Four and stuff, you know. And it's it's on the right track football wise, but all this other crap going on off the pitch and and while they're on the pitch as well, this crap going on is it's really really wrecking it, like you know. Um, so uh, what, what's your side prick? <laughs> my other one is I don't know if if uh, if you keep in track of the games that are going on. Obviously, you said we're we're recording when the Champions League games are going on at the moment. Club Bruges equalised in the last minute, second minute of injury time against Galatasaray tonight, and uh, the player who scored ran towards the corner flag, took off his jersey, celebrating, um, picked up a second yellow card and got sent off. And while that was happening in those celebrations, another player ran celebrating with him and two-footed the corner flag and snapped it in half so he also got a second yellow card and got sent off so those two players I think their name I'll get their names on Crippen Diata and Clinton Mata you are a pair of pricks that's <laughs> <laughs> just absolutely brilliant and a perfect way to end the show uh, we'll be back again next week uh, make sure you check out the footballfaithful.com for lots more great football content uh, just time to say thanks to Peter thanks Peter cheers lads thanks Dick. Cheers, thank you. And thanks for me. We'll see you next time.